for Thursday, February 25th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, a small clinic in Clarkston is working to make sure the largely non-white immigrant community it serves has access to COVID-19 vaccines. As we asked around in our community, we realized that if there wasn't a, a close, direct place for our population to get vaccinations, that they wouldn't get vaccinated. Dr. Andrew Kim of Ethne Health joins me to discuss what it's like to be on the front lines of Georgia's COVID-19 vaccine rollout. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. The state of Georgia has partnered with lots of small clinics to help distribute COVID-19 vaccines. One clinic in Clarkston, Ethne Health, is working to make sure doses are available to the largely non-white immigrant community it serves. Dr. Andrew Kim is one of the clinic's co-founders, and he's with me now to discuss how the rollout effort is going. Dr. Kim, thanks for talking with me. Yes, of course. I want to start just by having you tell me a little bit about your clinic and the population you serve. Yeah, so we started Ethne Health about two and a half years ago, and we serve a largely refugee and underserved population. There's a large African-American population that's underserved that we serve as well. And we are a full-spectrum clinic that does both adults and children. I would say 75% of the population we serve is uninsured. About 50% or so is refugee or immigrant in background. And our goal is to provide excellent health care and primary care to this population that often lacks such options. And our other desire, especially during COVID, is to find a way to make sure our population can access appropriate testing and COVID vaccinations, which can be very difficult for the population. And you are one of many kind of smaller clinics around the state that has been involved in the state's efforts to roll out COVID-19 vaccinations. Maybe just to start, talk to me about your interest in working with the state um, and being one of these access points for vaccines. Our desire in being a provider of vaccines stemmed from the fact that as we asked around in our community and as we saw in our community, we realized that 
if there wasn't a, a close, direct place for our population to get vaccinations, that they wouldn't get vaccinated. There's a lot of vaccine hesitancy in our communities, and there's also a profound lack of access in our communities. And we knew that by obtaining vaccines, we would give our population a much better chance of obtaining vaccines. And talk to me a little bit about how this process has been going uh, for your clinic. I know we've had vaccine doses in the state for a few months now. What kind of allotment have you been getting and how successful do you think you've been in distributing that? So we've received 300 Moderna vaccines and one box of Pfizer vaccines initially, and those were for first doses. The Pfizer vaccine was originally for 975 doses, but with the changes and getting more doses out of a vial, it's technically 1,170 doses. And we've also received the second doses of those vaccines. And at this point, we've successfully completed vaccinations, first and second doses for over 1,300 patients. What have you seen with regards to allergic reactions, if anything? One of the big concerns about the mRNA vaccines were the risk of severe allergic reactions. And in our about 1,300 completed vaccinations, we've, we've had one mild allergic reaction on site. And so thankfully, it seems like even though there's um, cases of it, the adverse reactions are still extremely rare. Talk to me a little bit about what's been going well with this process. I know this is a complex process. There are a lot of different players. What has been working from your perspective so far? Yeah, there have been several really good things with vaccine distribution. So first of all, I will say that the Department of Public Health and the DeKalb Board of Health, through whom we receive the vaccinations, have been very communicative and they have given us not just the vaccine supply, but also the other supplies needed to actually administer the vaccines, including the necessary syringes, which are especially important for the Pfizer vaccine. So not having to worry about some of those logistics has been very helpful. Some of the other things that have been really good is vaccine distribution requires a lot of resources to carry out, especially when you're vaccinating hundreds of people a day. And we've had a plethora of volunteers who are willing to help out in that effort. And people have just been really happy to be part of the effort of getting COVID vaccines out and into our community. So we've been really grateful to them. We've had local nonprofits help, like, you know, for example, Refuge Coffee has given our us and our volunteers free coffee and chai on days that we're vaccinating. Um, the local Chick-fil-A in Decatur has given us free Chick-fil-A sandwiches to give to our volunteers. And it really seems like it's been a community effort to get this vaccine out. And of course, a lot of the news coverage of the rollout has been of some of the challenges. I'm thinking of a big uh, recent one. The massive winter storm that shut down much of the middle of the country has actually affected doses arriving to the state. Talk to me a little bit about the impact that we'll say that winter storm has had on your ability to actually get your hand on vaccines and maybe some of the other challenges that you faced. Yeah, so I'll say that I don't think the winter storm has directly affected us in obtaining vaccines. As far as I can tell, I imagine that the Pfizer allotment we're getting soon, may, we may have received it a few days sooner, but 
I think that hasn't materially affected our vaccine distribution. Definitely the winter storm, we've felt the effects in terms of it being a little bit cooler here. And we vaccinate completely outdoors. So we've had to really just adjust and make sure we have enough supplies to vaccinate in very low temperatures. And that's been hard on the volunteers, but we've been able to compensate for it. I think the hardest part of vaccination, though, has been the vaccine supply. And what I mean by that is knowing exactly when we would get our vaccines. And the reason that's important is because it takes so many resources to actually vaccinate people. And as a clinic, we don't have excess capacity immediately available. And we always have to plan to bring people on and get volunteers to vaccinate and not knowing exactly when we get vaccines makes it hard to plan our staffing. We've actually had to hire multiple staff just to coordinate our vaccination effort because it takes so much resources. We've had to constantly be in touch with different organizations to help us obtain volunteers as well. And people have been really helpful in that regard. GSU has sent um, people from their nursing school, um, other nonprofits in the area have also helped us obtain uh, volunteers to just help in this effort, oftentimes in just a couple days notice as we obtain vaccines. How much of a heads up do you generally have when you have new extra doses coming in? Has it consistently just been a few days? Yeah, we usually get word it's just a few days before we actually obtain the vaccines. And for us as a smaller organization, it definitely takes us longer to mobilize staffing to vaccinate. So um, if we had a set schedule much ahead of time, that would be helpful. But we also understand that the supply is limited and it's just uh, something we have to figure out. Does that impact your ability to work with the population that you serve to get them booked for appointments? Is it harder to get people in the door if you only have a few days heads up? Yeah, absolutely. And thankfully, you know, when we get a Pfizer allotment, it's over a thousand doses. And so we usually take a, f a few weeks to give out those thousand doses. So in the beginning, it's definitely harder to get people in our community to get them scheduled for the vaccine. Usually the people that are contacting us are from outside the community, from more resourced and affluent communities who are looking for where vaccines are coming out and following that information that's produced by the Department of Public Health in terms of their distribution of vaccines. While our community definitely is oftentimes not looking at those resources, so we really have to make a concerted effort to reach out to them. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Dr. Andrew Kim. He's co-founder of the small clinic in Clarkston, Georgia, Ethne Health. They're taking part in Georgia's COVID-19 vaccine rollout. My understanding is that your clinic has actually earmarked a certain percentage of these doses you have for locals, certain zip codes. Do I have that right? And, and if so, tell me a little bit about why. Yes. So our clinic is working very hard to vaccinate our community in particular. And that is the express reason why we became a vaccine provider. We definitely vaccinate people outside of our community, but we've directly tried to engage with our community and find ways to overcome vaccine hesitance within our community and specifically try to vaccinate as many people as possible within our community. 
Over the course of this vaccine rollout, we have seen a bunch of different providers take a bunch of different approaches. We have seen large hospital systems here in Metro Atlanta, for example, focus on vaccinating their patients first. Um, the Department of Public Health has released this uh, index of private providers, smaller clinics like your clinic, along with uh, public health agencies that have maybe been more publicly focused. Um, but it does seem like there's not been a whole lot of clarity from state officials on how providers can actually earmark doses. Would you agree with that, that there hasn't been a lot of top-down kind of direction on the best way that providers should should handle these allocations that they are getting. I agree. I think there's been considerable flexibility in who we vaccinate, but at the same time, the rules are not entirely clear, and we're trying to do the best in terms of exactly who we're vaccinating and the community we're trying to vaccinate based off of the guidance we have. But you're correct in that the guidance is definitely does not spell out exactly what communities and who we should vaccinate outside of the clear phase 1A plus recommendation. And I wonder if situations like the one that happened in Elberton earlier this year, how providers like yourself who are involved in administering vaccines feel about that. Just for, for people who might not know, there was a provider in this small East Georgia community that chose to offer vaccinations up to teachers, kind of out of phase with the state's current uh, vaccination phase. And then the state actually revoked that provider's ability to get future doses. What do you make of something like that? Yeah, I think the appropriate place to advocate for our communities is with our local officials and our local health departments and with the state of Georgia. I do think the Department of Public Health has been very clear in terms of who we're allowed to vaccinate. And it's been clear that if we vaccinate outside of the groups that they've told us to vaccinate, that we could potentially lose the ability to vaccinate. So I do think the Department of Public Health has been clear about that. And at the same time, I I definitely empathize and understand the physician in Elberton that tried to vaccinate people in the local school system, especially because it's they really are a you know first line um, workers and people that are constantly exposed have significant exposures to COVID. And I understand that he was trying to help his community and. Unfortunately, we have to abide by the rules that we have, but I think we definitely need to advocate for our schools and other um, first-line workers to get vaccinated along with other groups. And yeah, I definitely empathize. I, I would imagine um, that this is a big responsibility and that there is some tension here between getting doses out the door, reaching people who are actually interested in, in getting vaccine, and this kind of targeted approach, it seems like maybe they're potentially working against each other in, in some ways. Absolutely. You know, in our experience so far, the vast majority of people that are reaching out to us are coming from very resourced communities and from very affluent backgrounds. And our goal is to try to get it into communities that are under-resourced and oftentimes have much more vaccine hesitancy. We've we've actually hired a 
a position just to directly figure out ways to get this vaccine into our communities. We've partnered with Georgia State University to try to understand vaccine hesitance in our communities more. And we really are trying to figure out the way to get vaccines into the community as rapidly as possible. But I also understand that there are people that really want the vaccine and are reaching out to us constantly for the vaccine because they also need the vaccine. I have had many conversations with people on this podcast about vaccine hesitancy and what is being done and not done to address it. Tell me if you think this is right, that there is maybe this general perception out there among the public that people who are hesitant don't deserve to get vaccinated. Demand is so high and supply is so low. There's maybe this perception out there, well, if people don't want it, why not give it to people who do? What do you make of that? That's a great question, Sam. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Just give me a second. (laughs) Um. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, because and maybe just to get the juices flowing, because, you know, I've had conversations, too, about equity and, you know, the public health value of reaching, say, communities of color. These are communities that have been hit harder by the pandemic. And if we only vaccinate white affluent communities, that still leaves considerable exposure for all of us if the people who are most at risk don't have access to vaccines. And so I think there's a public health argument to be be made for it. But with such high demand, I posted yesterday on Twitter about the site in Albany um, opening up to walk-ins because they didn't have enough appointments booked. And I got a bunch of people responding to that saying, well, if those people don't want the vaccine, I'll take it. And it just seems like it's not that simple. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think vaccine hesitancy is, I think it's a real issue and it's especially significant in underserved communities. And I agree that underserved communities have been hit especially hard by COVID and they've dealt with the ramifications of COVID much more so than other communities. And I think part of what we do as compassionate healthcare providers is understand why people are hesitant about the vaccine and we try to address those issues. And I agree that it really is a public health problem. Not only, you know, this is a microcosm of what's happening in the in the world. Um, first world countries have first dibs on the vaccine while the third world is unable to obtain the vaccine. And um, those countries will end up being hit harder because they have less access um, I do want to say that I think it's part of our our duty as physicians to really care and advocate for the communities we serve and to find ways to vaccinate those communities, um, even if it means that um, we're not opening the doors to people that um, really want the vaccine immediately. Is there something that you see changing the momentum there, a big kind of game changer that convinces people in hesitant communities that this is actually something worthwhile getting vaccinated? Yeah, so vaccine hesitancy is extremely complicated. And because we serve a really large refugee population from multiple, multiple different cultures, we realize that every culture is different and that each culture has different reasons for why they are hesitant to receive the vaccine. But in general, we've seen that when we vaccinate um, people in groups, especially in religious groups or community groups, that they're more likely to get vaccinated. One example is there was a, a group of 17 older Nepali 
people that one of the community leaders actually brought to, to get vaccinated and they were all willing to be vaccinated. And I wonder if they were all individuals, whether they would have been vaccinated otherwise. And so we're really making an effort to try to get into large groups of, or into small groups of people and to really speak with the leaders of those groups, whether they're religious leaders or other community leaders, and try to educate them about vaccination and try to have it so that the leaders really want to be vaccinated as well and understand the value in that. And we, we've seen success in that, and we hope to continue to try those efforts with um, different communities in the area. And this this kind of relationship, uh, this agreement that you have with the state to be this access point, how does this play out over time? I know that we're only a few months into the rollout effort, but is this a, a six-month commitment you've made? Is, is it a year long? Um, what does kind of the, the future look like for you as a vaccine provider? The need for the vaccine is probably going to continue for <laughs> at least several years. And as a clinic, we know we want to take part in this initial vaccination effort, and we hope to take part in the continued vaccination effort. You know, we're not guaranteed vaccinations to give out to our patients, but we, as long as they continue to give us those vaccines, we'll continue applying for it. We want to continue to be able to provide vaccines for our community as long as possible, and we're continuing to build out the resources and staff to be able to do that consistently. You, you have obviously signed up for this program to work with the state because you want to make sure that this community that you serve has access. Um, but this also feels like a big responsibility. So just kind of personally, how has this been for you to be involved in this and to kind of navigate all the all the intricacies of this rollout? Yeah, personally, it's meant a lot of long days and a lot of long hours working, just trying to figure out um, how to run the vaccine sites, how to get vaccines into our communities. And so that part has been difficult, but it's also been deeply satisfying seeing some of our older 80, 90 year olds from communities that are very vaccine hesitant get vaccinated and to be protected when typically no one from that community is willing to get vaccinated. And it's been deeply satisfying seeing people really step up in the community and really care about our community getting vaccinated and being willing to volunteer and provide resources for that. Dr. Andrew Kim is co-founder of Ethne Health, a small clinic in Clarkston. And just a quick note before signing off today. On Thursday, March 4th at 7.30 p.m., I'll be hosting a conversation with Emory University's Dr. Carlos Del Rio and Fulton County Health Director Dr. Lynn Paxton about the future of COVID-19. We'll also look back at the last year of the pandemic and take some questions in this free live-streamed event. That's Thursday, March 4th at 7.30 p.m. You can sign up at wabe.org community, and I hope to see you there. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, that might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. 
Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.